Shaggy Cross Conversations, chatting all things dogs and running. Join me, Michelle. Me, Louise, as we chat to guests and experts about dogs and running, sometimes whilst we are out running. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Canny Cross Conversations. Today, we're joined by dog trainer, Tracy McLernan, who specialises in dogs with a high prey drive. I, for one, am very interested to learn about these kinds of dogs, as is Louise, as we're both owners of dogs with a very high prey drive. So um, should we just start, Tracy, do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit more and tell us how you came to niche in this area? Absolutely. So I started off as a learning about dog training a long time ago now, um, probably around about 20 years ago. And I started off, my very first dog was a bull mastiff, which I know is a stupid kind of dog to have if you have never had a dog before. But anyway, at the time when I was thinking about breeds of dog to have, um, dominance theory was very popular. And a lot of the books I read suggested that it didn't matter what sort of dog you got as long as you were a good pack leader any dog would be the same now that I can categorically say that's not true but anyway it did encourage me to go and get a a completely unsuitable dog for a first-time dog owner so Calgacus my bull mastiff was he had a bit of a prey drive he would um, really chase deer when he was young and he would catch kill and eat rabbits if he could so he had a little bit of a prey drive but I'll be honest, that was not the biggest problem with Calgacus. He, when he was about 18 months old, he became very aggressive towards other dogs. I know these days we sometimes describe it as reactive, but he actually really badly injured another dog. And I would not have described, I, I wouldn't describe him as reactive. I would now describe him as an aggressive dog. And he, so that was what made me start learning about dog training. And it was quite hard to get help with Calgacus. I did find it quite difficult difficult to get help with Calgacus. But I eventually um, got in conversation with Sarah Fisher and I started training as a T-Touch practitioner. And by the time I'd finished that course, Calgacus was fine with other dogs again. Um, his prey drive also was really under control. He didn't really chase deer anymore. Um, and I could stop him chasing rabbits if I wanted to. Um, so he was really, so he became really, really good, which was which was great. I went on then, and I did a degree in dog training and behaviour. I went to Bishop Burton College, and I did a BSc in canine behaviour and training. Um, a friend of mine who works for Dog Trust uh, suggested I maybe come and meet this puppy that had been returned to them after he'd only been in his home a couple of days. He was a little collie cross puppy, and I went and I met Cullen. And he came home with me and Cullen grew up. He developed a very high prey drive. And then I learned I didn't know as much about prey driving dogs, (laughs) I thought. Cullen would run off. uh, He would go miles away from me. He would would sometimes get lost uh, once overnight. But absences of several hours were not uncommon. So um, Cullen... And what I found, what I found when I looked for help with Coolin was it was even it was harder to get help. And I was well connected in the dog training world by the time I got Coolin. So I thought that 
I would it would be easy to get help and it really wasn't. I struggled to find anybody um, in the pet dog community who had a good understanding of prey drive. And what I was repeatedly told was just um, keep him on the lead all the time <laughs> or um, take him to freedom fields if you want to let him off your lead. And yep. I didn't want to do that. I wanted Cullen to be able to be off his lead in other places as well. So that's what made me start. And after, so Cullen got really good, actually. He, he passed away earlier this year. At, he was nearly 14. Um, and for years previously to his death, he'd been really, really good. I could have done MSc in Applied Animal Behaviour and Training last year. And when I started it, I decided that I'd have a look and see um, what information is out there, what research is out there in pre about prey drive, and there's not very much. No, not, very no. much <laughs> not, not very much that would help pet people with their dogs, really not much of, that's of any use to pet dog owners at all, and that was when I decided that I would focus on it, because I went, you know, it was really hard for me to get help. I don't, I'm not seeing any signs that pet dog trainers have got any more information than they had when I started, and when I looked at the research that was available, I, I went, oh, there's just not there's just not enough information out there. So that's really interesting that you found that there wasn't much information out there. But what, you know, a short definition, what is a high prey, prey dog and what sort of characteristics do they tend to have? So prey, prey drive, the phrase prey drive really describes the level of desire that the dog has to do something with prey animals. Um, some animal behaviours don't really like it as a phrase because it refers to the dog's internal state that you can't measure easily. But, I, but you know, everybody I know that's got a dog with a high prey drive can accurately see their dog's level of desire. So yeah. I I don't have an issue with it, but I know that in some places it gets, whether or not it's even a, a phrase that should be used is debated. Um, and, and so pretty much, apart from the companion breeds, pretty much all of our domestic dogs have been bred to do something with prey animals. So they might be like your spaniels, where they're bred to run around really fast and find the animals so that they can then be shot. Or they might be like um, your hounds, your sight hounds, where they're bred to chase after things that they can see or the scent hounds where they are bred to use their noses or they might be like collies where they are bred to perform a very specific predatory sequence um, as relating to sheep or like terriers where they're bred to catch and kill um, vermin. So there's a variety of all, but pretty much all of our domestic dogs have been bred to do something to do with prey animals. And the, so they all have a certain amount of predatory behaviour. And predatory behaviour really refers to what's known as a motor sequence. So it's a sequence of behaviour that starts with, I would say, starts with the hunting behaviour that you would see the spaniels and dogs like pointers and setters doing um, and goes through um, orienting to position themselves so they can see or be in the vicinity of the animal 
looking at it, which is known as eyeing, um, to then stalking, which is what you see the setters do and the pointers do, where they stalk very slowly in border collies as well. And then they would go into chasing. Um, and Hello, then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then into chasing, then for some dogs, they might do a grab bite where they would ho hold on to the animal, kill bite where they would hold and shake, which you're more likely to see dogs doing with toys than with other animals. Um, and then they might, if they're like my bull mastiff was, they might tear the animal open and eat it, which is known as dissect. Well, the tearing open is, is called dissect. And then consuming is the last bit, which for wild uh, predators, they're only ever hunting prey animals to catch, kill and eat them. That's why they're doing it. But for domestic dogs, the, se the sequence of behaviours has been really disrupted and they don't all do all parts of the motor sequence. So some will, some dogs absolutely chasing is their thing. Some dogs using their nose is their thing. Um, and, and for some, it can be more confused. So lots of spaniels, if they don't have a lot of training, what spaniels tend to want to do is hunt using their nose. And then they'll want to hold the thing in their mouth, which is a, a bit, I call it possessed, where they want to hold the thing in their mouth. Now, if you're a spaniel and you've found a rabbit in the grass and then you want to hold it in your mouth, what you're going to have to do probably is chase after it because yeah. the rabbit's not just going to sit there and allow itself to be picked up. So uh, so for some dogs, although they will chase, chase isn't really the end goal. Maybe for them holding the animal in their mouth is the end goal. For my dog, Coolin, he would chase, but chase wasn't his end goal. His end goal was just to follow the smell. So if, if a rabbit was running away from Coolin, there would be lots of scent coming off it. And so he would be following the scent. But if he ever got close to the rabbit, he would just stand still because the rabbit itself wasn't interesting. To, in fact, he was happiest if they went in a bush that he could then run round and round. So there's different. Pre so each dog will have its own set of preferences. Yeah. And, and, yeah. No, it does. And I, I know Michelle and I are nodding away here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely. But is there, I mean, I, I've done one of your courses, uh, Tracy, so I've sort of um, found it really interesting. And one of the things that I found really interesting was the the sort of alertness before before you, because my dog can be really, really good at times mm -hmm. until she gets, until she suddenly gets that scent and I can tell when she's going to do it. So what sort of things that dogs, do, uh, you know, depending on what they're their thing is, I suppose. What what sort of things can we see in our dogs so um, that, before they before they go before we've lost them? Yeah, so that momentary stillness with a lot of dogs is probably the main thing that you would see before they go. You might notice their movement speeding up. If they've suddenly picked up a scent that's on the ground, you might see them suddenly move, start to move faster, and that's often a sign as well. Apparently, greyhounds, greyhounds apparently give no real indication at all, because for a greyhound, the, 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 the key parts of the predatory motor sequence, if you're a greyhound, are to see the animal and chase it. So they'll go instantly 
from seeing to chasing. So it's very difficult um, for people with greyhounds to to spot the moment where it's too late because it's almost immediately too late for them. So, yeah, I think mostly lifting their nose in the air, suddenly standing very still and staring or suddenly starting to move faster are the main ones I would look for. Yep, we do all of those. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle, what what does Poppy do? Um, Poppy, she's a sighthound. We think she's Bedenko. So she, she totally does that stillness. And it's not, that's why I tend to keep her on a lead now. I'm going to ask you a question about that in a moment, because um, I know we mentioned that earlier. But um, so when she's previously been off the lead and she's she's still, but it's not quite long enough for me to grab her to go, uh-oh, oh, yep. it's going to happen now and I'm going to lose her for half an hour. Um, so you mentioned that in, we kind of instinctively then want to keep our dogs close to us and on a lead. Can we learn to trust them then? I'm really interested to kind of hear your strategies for learning to trust our prey-driven dogs and how we how we cope with that. It's do you know, I think it's a difficult thing and trust is is an issue whenever there's been a behaviour problem. So when Calgacus tried really injured somebody else's dog, there was a, a the trust to get the trust back to let him interact with other dogs was a long, long process. And it's the same. It was the same with Cullen and his pre-drive. There, the trust needs to be built. So I would I used to do a lot of with Cullen going to places. Now he was, if I walked him, if I did an out and back type walk that wasn't too long, if I walked him out and then I would know that there wasn't too prey too close, then as yeah. I walked him back, I could let him off his leads. So I used to do a lot of things like that with Cullen to build my confidence. I I I'd spent a lot of time just looking at him so that I could understand when we were somewhere that was too exciting for him because that's part of it with pre drive as well is that sometimes it is depending on the dog there will be some places that will always just be too exciting for them so understanding when I was somewhere like that was a key thing and doing lots of training with him to help him understand that I was more interesting to hang around with, so that I was reasonable. So we were playing games that were meaningful to Cullen. So I started off trying to just um, play games where I threw a toy and he chased it, but that chasing wasn't really his thing. So that was a bit of a failure. <laughs> it was a massive failure. But then I discovered other games where he could use his nose to find things that mostly had food in them. Um, and it didn't reduce his interest in prey animals, but it made me more interesting to hang around with. And that meant that he was more likely to stay closer to me. I did lots of self-control type work with him so that he learned to be able to contain himself a little bit. And that that sort of thing all really, really helps. But the trust, the trust is difficult and you do need to build it. And I think for me as well, one of the key things is to not listen to other people too much. Because one of the things I hear in dog training, I hear people saying in pet dog training classes all the time to people is, oh, you need to trust your dog. When somebody's saying, I'm not sure about letting my dog off the lead here, I have in pretty much every dog training class I've ever been in, at some point the trainer says, well, you need to trust your dog. And, And I actually 
really think when you're dealing with a dog that's got a high prey drive or a dog that's, that may behave aggressively, as, the, as that dog's main person, you probably have got a really good idea, um, even if it's subconscious, of when something is risky and when it's not risky. So for me, it's really key to listen to yourself and not to somebody else who perhaps doesn't know your dog as well. The time cooling got lost overnight. Um, I was walking with friends. One of my friends knew him quite well, but she'd never seen him really disappear before. And I'd kind of said, oh, I'm a little bit, I'm not sure if I'll let Cullen off his lead because it's kind of getting dark. It was January. It's kind of getting dark and there's snow. And I'm just, I'm just not sure. My friend went, oh, come on, Tracy. When was the last time Cullen got lost? So I went, you know, you're right. You're right. Um, she's another dog trainer and she's very good. So I went, you know what? You're right. I'm being overcautious. So I let him off his lead and then we didn't see him again until the following evening when it was oh, getting wow. dark again. Yeah. So for me, the whole thing, when you're talking about trust, it's you that needs to build up the trust, not like some random person or a good, even a good friend who spent a lot of time with your dog. Unless um, unless they're, they've been there a lot of the times when the dogs disappeared then I would say the trust that you need to build is between yourself and the dog and not I, like... Uh, yeah, I yeah. so totally get that, Tracy, because I've had instances like that with people, even random people when you're out walking, oh, you should just let them off, that'd be fine. It's like, no, they won't. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and they don't understand that. I do. Yeah. I did let... I, I was saying this to Hannah, who we were talking um, to uh, last week, but I was... I did let her off in a... Um, a wood recently on Dartmoor and there was no livestock around. I knew that because I was with a friend who also got three dogs. She was brilliant. She was too far away from me to a certain extent, but she has comes back to me a bit better. And, and I have played, especially during lockdown, loads of games with her. Um, and, um, you know, and, and she's been really interactive in the garden. She's brilliant because there's nothing to distract yeah. her. So my question to you is, I've, I've, I've done lots of training with her and I've gone through your course. I, I can get her out into the fields and I, there's a field I let her off in quite happily so it's fairly safe. But as soon as she's got that scent or as soon as she's on, I call it the red mist coming down, I can't, even with food, I can't get her back to me. You know, even if I haven't let her off, I cannot get her back to me. I am not the most important person or the exciting person. And that's the bit that I struggle with the most. Absolutely. What kind is your dog, Louise? Remind it's, me. Uh, she's a black, she's a black lab. She's a black lab. Is she, yeah. Is she a working line lab? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah, she is. She's got a good pedigree and she's um, she's very bright. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Brightest dog I've ever had, anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, so it is a real challenge. Um, and there are some places where the scent is going to be overwhelming for for any for for an individual dog and it depends it differs from dog to dog do you know what might be in the field when she can't pheasants usually and rabbits okay so yeah so what i what i try to do often rabbits in particular will go to they'll hang out in quite specific spots so sometimes even in the same field there can be one bit where it's fine and one bit where it's really not fine. And so hanging out in the bit where it's fine, doing a bit of training and then going to the bit where it's not fine. 
but not with the intention of letting the dog off yeah. the lead, but just with the intention of doing some training until she can learn to focus a little bit on you, even in those exciting environments. Yeah, because they don't forget, do they? Where they've no. seen a rabbit or something, they just, <laughs> yeah, Michelle's they, nodding they, <laughs> they don't forget, but I think one of the advantages with the young dog breeds, now pedenkles are obviously different, and I think of the sight hounds, pedenkles are probably more challenging than the others, because they use their noses just as much. I yeah. would struggle. Oh, I would struggle to describe it as Pedenko as either a scent hound or a sight hound, really. So I think they are a real challenge and not really bred to work closely with people. Whereas gun dog breeds are there's a little bit of an advantage with gun dog breeds, I think, that they are you, you are probably going to be able to make more progress not with all of them but with most gun dog breeds I know it's 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 difficult when you've got that one that's just not responding it is really hard but it sounds like it sounds like where you where you live is similar to the sort of area where I live where it's just very challenging there's a lot of wildlife around yeah and and actually it, it's really interesting and I think it's like again we were talking with Hannah last week Michelle was saying she doesn't let Poppy off the lead at all I've got it in my head that I will let her off when I feel happy and safe but otherwise I don't and I and I kind of you know I've made that choice I've come to terms with it and you know and hence why we canny cross so you know she gets the exercise she's a fit dog um so but the thing I wanted to know, are we, in, so when I do let her off, she's never close, but she'll do a big circle and come back to me. Um, and that's good. And I've got used to that now, so I know she'll do that. But am I reinforcing a behaviour here or should I, you know, because I want her to have some freedom. I know we all do, don't we? But is it, a, am I reinforcing her behaviour that I'm never going to get out of now or... I, you know, I wouldn't be pessimistic. So I think dog trainers are terrible for saying to people, oh, if your dog even makes one mistake, that's it. You'll never recover from it. That is not my experience. I mean, Calgacus chased loads of things, loads of things until he was for quite a long time. And he killed a few rabbits and ate them. So... And he and 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 he also was not a particularly trainable breed of dog, and and I eventually could stop him from chasing. Apart from hares, they're super exciting. Yeah. Um, but anything that wasn't a hare, I could stop him from chasing, and he would just stand next to me and watch deer early in the morning when we would go up onto the moor. So I wouldn't. I would never give up hope. How old is your dog, Louise? Three and a half. Well, do you know? So, She's so young. I was, yeah, I was having a conversation um, with a friend of mine a couple of weekends ago. He has become a gun dog trainer and he's got Cocker Spaniels since I last spoke to him. I haven't seen him for a few years and he's got fit heavily into shooting and gun dog training and he has these little Cocker Spaniels. And I went down to visit to, to, to the place where he does his training with my Cocker Spaniel um, so that he could, you know, show me what he does. 
but he mentioned to me so he gets and he has been invited to take his dogs to work at shoots at a place called Glen Eagles in Scotland mm. which is one of our posh places um and he's obviously very good because it, people pay a lot of money to shoot there so they presumably only invite people to go along with dogs if the dogs are going to behave well and do a good job and he said that he was having a conversation with a one of the gamekeepers who had referred to his dog as a puppy my friend said, how old is your dog? And the gamekeeper said, she's three. And he went, really a puppy then? And the gamekeeper said, I don't really really like working them until they're five because I find that they're more difficult to handle until they're that sort of age. So that was somebody who um, does that, trains working gun dogs for a living, um, who... Works on one of works has a job where he has to be good at it, or he wouldn't have that job. He wouldn't be working there if he wasn't good at what he does. And yet he is like, yeah, really hard work till they're about five. Yeah. So wow. I, so I, oh, I think to put it in perspective, and people who not everybody, but a lot of people who work gun dogs, um, like that gamekeeper people who do it as a full time job, they're not taking their dogs out on walks. They no. take their dog. They take their young dogs and they put them somewhere where they they know what is going to be around and they know that they're taking them somewhere where they're not going to be overwhelmed. And if they're not sure, they'll take an older dog to make sure the area is clear of wildlife before they take the young dog there. So their their training is much more structured and much more controlled than anything you would be able to achieve with a pet dog. And yeah. still five years old before this guy thinks that it, you know his young his cocker spaniels are reliable so just to put it in some perspective yeah. I think it's easy to feel as though you need to give up because it's not quite working oh yet. I'm not giving up don't worry but um <laughs> but yeah um the other thing is though whenever they do so so they do dogs do form habits so Whenever they do chase something or run off after a smell and get overwhelmed and ignore you, they are they are building up a more of a habit that that's more likely to happen in the future. Now, it's, I don't consider it to be a disaster if it happens, but I I try and keep it to a bare minimum. Yeah. By no, doing- that's, yeah, no, that's that's interesting, and I think. It, and it is it is disheartening and I, I'm sure mm. Michelle feels the same way at times you know that we have that I think we all have this idea of the, the dog you know that just walks nicely goes mm. and has a play and comes back to us when we call but in reality and in, and I think in more reality than the that perfect dog is that the sort of hybrid dog dogs or, or you know the ones that are reactive as well I know Michelle do you find that yeah, I mean that's the that's the whole reason I canny cross with Poppy because she's you know she's disappeared but not not for half a day thankfully or overnight <laughs> but I've lost her for kind of a good half hour yeah. for now which probably sounds nothing to some people but to me it was like oh my god I've lost the dog so she's gone off over the moors chasing chasing a deer mm-hmm. um, and yeah I, so so I I kind of know the areas where we tend to see deers now um, and we tend to kind of avoid those now. <laughs> yeah yeah it is kind of it is difficult and I think those dogs the dog that everybody pictures when they get a dog who walks along next to you all the time and maybe goes and has a little nice little play with another dog and then comes back those are in the minority that's not 
hardly anybody have got those dogs. It's just that yes. those are the ones you see all the time because those are the ones that it's easy for people to take out. So you see those dogs all the time, but they are not. I believe that those are the minority of dogs. Yeah, and in I, fact, I, I, everybody is almost everybody is dealing with some form of, well, I can't let my dog off the lead here, or I need to be careful in case another dog comes over, or, you know, they, oh, if they see a rabbit, they would, they would be off. I think most people are dealing with something along those lines. And it's just because we have this kind of, because you, you, you grow up hearing this sort of fantasy story about what it's like to have dogs, then everybody goes around feeling guilty because their dog's not like that. But I think hardly any of them are in reality. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I've had that dog. Our last dog was the dream dog. Um, and we could, you know, she would walk next to us. She, yeah, she would go off and chase squirrels, but she was never that far away. We could always see her. She was, she would come back when we called her. And then to suddenly go from that to a dog who is just so prey driven that you are just not important at all. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really hard. It is hard. It, it is tough. So can Candy Cross help? I do believe that Canny Cross is a brilliant thing to do. So one of the things that I did with Coolin, one of the many things I did with Coolin was I took up running. And so I'd never run before. I'm not very good at it. Um, but I decided that because it was so difficult to find places to let him run off the lead uh, without the risk of him disappearing, that I needed to find some way to give him more exercise and also be able to take him out into the countryside because it was really yeah. hard having him on a lead was really hard because he would be pulling so hard so I decided that if I started going out if I took up canny cross with him and started going out jogging and wearing equipment so that you know it was fine if he pulled me and in fact if if he pulled that was that was brilliant um I decided that that would be a good thing to do and absolutely it really I felt as though it really helped Cullen so it meant that he got more exercise which was good because he was very young at the time um he was about he was just under a year when it started and he was maybe about uh, 18 months when we started running together yeah good <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. you were going to say he was only he was under a year when you started running. I was going no, to no, stop no. you then. <laughs> I think he was about eighteen months by the time I decided that going out running together would be a good idea. So he was about yeah. eighteen months by then, and um, and and so then we felt I felt as though it would help. So we got more exercise for a start, and we could go to places where there were more exciting scents without falling out with each other because you know, of, of his behaviour on the lead and, and him being annoyed because I wouldn't let him off his lead and me being a little bit annoyed and frustrated because it, it was so difficult to handle him on the lead. All of that just went away when we would go running together. So, it, so yeah, really, I think it really helped. And he seemed to like running through woods and things where he could get all the scent. That seemed to be really significant for him. So we did, so we did tons and tons of that. And as he got better about prey, we I, I, often he would just run loose. Um, but I, I find if you want, if you're running a dog loose, you, they they really need to be very well behaved because you come even if you're a very slow runner like me, you you come to distractions much much more quickly than if you're than if you're at a walking pace. So by the time we were doing that, he was really well behaved. But you know, in case he came across somebody on a bike or a, or, yeah. or a horse rider or something, you know, we used to come across all sorts of things. Um, 
but uh, to start with, it was just, it was transformative to do a bit of canny cross with Cool and really helped. And I'm glad you said that you were then able to take him to the places that perhaps you wouldn't have walked him because we, we uh, canny cross and sometimes we go along the canal where there's lots of ducks. So yeah, she likes ducks as well. And uh, But I, I love it. I love the fact that we go a little bit faster. It's like doing a bit of interval training, which is absolutely fine. But I can keep her focused uh, on that, you know, on the run. She'll notice the ducks, but she'll keep going. And, and, and it's kind of like, well, why? Because she's running and she's chasing. Why isn't she going after the ducks as well? That's really interesting. That is really interesting. I don't know why. Because I, I was going to say, wow, you're, you're pretty... There's <laughs> a lady that used to come to the, uh, the Canny Cross Club that I went to um, who would run with two or three Spaniels. And I can remember one night... Um, in the winter time when it was dark and the room and one of the routes we would do was beside a river and Barbara saying oh my dogs just tried to kill me <laughs> they were trying to go in the river and I was clinging onto a tree to oh. stop them. no I've never gone in the I've never gone in the canal we're all right <laughs> it was one near this but that wasn't uh, I think she just wanted a drink not the, not the diet. <laughs> I've had a similar experience though from canny crossing because she's she gets very excitable around sheep Mm. Um, like really excitable um but I'm, I'm at the stage with her now where we've done lots of kind of I've, I've exposed her to lots of sheep fields in a very kind of safe controlled way on the lead of course and we started off walking through them I'm at the stage now where we can jog through them we still can't go at full pelt because that's when she gets a bit excitable and if I scare the sheep and the sheep move she will still get excitable but if we kind of go through it a nice steady jog um, and the sheep kind of stay where they are and they don't feel threatened, she will just ignore them. And I kind of feel like, yes, results. And yeah, and I don't know why that is. It's it's strange. I don't know whether it's because they're just focused. Yeah, I, do, I don't know why it is either, but I, it, it is interesting because I do, I've always felt as though it made a massive difference to Cullen um, and, and to helping his training. So there does seem to be some, I don't know if it's just because you're doing stuff with them that's it's more interesting. They can take more of the scent in because you're moving a bit faster and maybe they're happy then to just keep moving forward rather than trying to. And because they're joined on to you, they, they know they can't just go off and yeah. they know yeah. they can't just go off and chase the thing. So that perhaps they then go, well, this is great, but we're going along, we're going at a reasonable speed and I'm getting all this nice scent and maybe that's enough. Maybe that's enough for them. And that's why it helps. I, don't, I wish I had a, a definitive answer because it, because it was something I noticed with Coolin as well. So I'm really interested to see to hear both of your stories. But yeah, yeah I, I do. I recommend Canny Cross to everybody when if when if they're saying, "Oh, am I having really trouble with my dog?" and they're really difficult on the lead, I'm like, "Take up jogging, yeah. get yourself out." <laughs> No, and it and it's been. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. I love it. I love running. So you know, it's 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 been a. Um, it gets two two kills two birds with one stone, doesn't it? So it's mm-hmm. it's great. Gets them exercised and gets me fit. Um, brilliant, Michelle. Have you got any other questions? Because I, um, it's been fascinating. <laughs> yeah. No, I've learned I've learned loads about prey driven dogs today. So it's helped me understand Poppy a little bit more. I think that's it, isn't it? And the yeah. fact that we can understand our dogs. And, and and Tracy, as you said earlier, you know, you know your dog. No one else knows your dog any be- you know, better than you. Um, and so you have to go by 
your gut instinct and um yeah it's not a bad thing to have them on a lead in fact in some cases it's a good thing yeah it's not it, it's not a bad thing in the society we live in it's you know there's such pressures on dogs to behave in specific ways that you know if they need to stay on the leads to keep them safe then yeah then I think it's a good thing to do and people can always do things like canny cross and training and hiring freedom fields to give the dogs a little bit more than they would otherwise especially when they're young I mean canny cross is just amazing for dogs with high prey drives it's a it's a fabulous thing to do I sometimes speak to the old person who says oh I don't know the dogs look very excited and I'm kind of like but that's why it's that's why it works so well if you've got a dog where, you, you know, I mean, I thought I'd never be able to walk Coolin in woods again because it, it was so hard because he was so excited and he would just be diving around and pulling and sometimes screaming. It was just so difficult. Um, and, and so what people end up then doing is they can't go to those places. I can't yes. take my dog there. But if, you, if you're canny crossing with them, you can because you, you run along and they're attached to you and you're not... You're, I mean, ideally they are pulling forward, but you're not putting any pressure on them to walk on a loose lead. And I think it, I, I think it makes such a difference that they don't have to worry about trying to keep the lead loose, and you don't have to worry about it either. Everybody can forget about loose leads and just let the dog pull. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's totally true. Totally true. So Tracy, thank you so much for your time today. Where can people find you on social media or website or? So I have got a website. My company name is Best Dog Learning and Stuff. Do you want me to put this in the in the chat? Well, I'll put it in the show notes as well. But yeah, if you just tell tell people. Um, yeah. So I have got a website, bestdoglearningandstuff.co.uk. I have got a pre-drive support group on uh, Facebook so people can join that. Um, it's, it's just High Pre-drive support group on Facebook. If you search for that or have a little look at the link. And yeah, that's where people can find me. I have a mailing list um, that I'm very active on. I like to write a lot, so I send a lot of emails out to my mailing list. Um, but there's a link on my website where people can join in. Brilliant. Yeah, and Louise can obviously vouch for your course. So Yes, yes. yes. Yes, I did one part of it. So that was very good. Yes, listen to that. And uh, yeah, trying to put some stuff, other stuff into uh, into practice, but we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think, you know, I was I was thinking recently that dog training is one of those things where you have to keep doing it, even when yeah. you feel like it's not working. Um, yeah, it's not a, not a, you do it at the beginning, that's it, and your dog sorted, it's a continual throughout their life. It's a continual yeah. thing, and especially with, with young dogs as well, when people have young dogs and they reach about a year of age or six months to a year and they, they stop listening and they become really difficult, mm -hmm. you know, the trick is to just keep keep training keep with low low expectations, but just keep doing it because usually they you know they improve with age almost always. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tracy. It's been a brilliant episode on High Pro Drive. If you've enjoyed it, do let us know. Please leave us a review and share to anyone you know that has got a high prey drive dog, because we know there are loads out there. See you next time. 